I'm Rev. Shannon Moore, and you're listening to the Simple Worship Podcast, recorded each week at University Christian Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Every Sunday at 9.30 a.m., we gather in the Chapel of the Good Shepherd to sing, take communion, and worship. If you'd like to join us, in person or virtually, please visit our website, universitychristian.org, for more details. So our scripture today comes from the beginning of Mark's gospel. Uh, The first three verses of Mark's gospel kind of start out talking about, um, referring back to the prophet Isaiah who says, there will come somebody, a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Um, And that's kind of the the very brief intro we get into before our text today. Um, But just a, a little more context for who Mark is in this gospel, Mark is considered the earliest chronological account of the gospel. Um, Scholars agree that maybe he was probably the first to publicly write an account of who Jesus was and to profess that, and so many other accounts that follow might have looked back upon Mark as kind of the original version, the original account of of a gospel. Now, gospel as a genre was something that kind of developed over time. Uh, In the first century, you know, Rome was everything. Rome conquered people. Rome loved to expand its empire. And as the government of Rome did that, as they conquered new lands and new peoples, uh, the emperor would send out a messenger. And this messenger would go to every place in the empire, uh, or multiple messengers, and they would proclaim a gospel. They would proclaim a good news that Rome has conquered, Rome is expanding, the kingdom of the empire is doing just great. And isn't this such great news? Um, and so for the early Christian authors, they, they took this idea of gospel and they used it for their own purposes. They used it in almost a subversive way to say, Rome doesn't bring the good news, but this is good news. This is what gospel is. Um, and so that's the kind of message that Mark is writing here um, today. And so um, receive the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed... The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice from heaven came saying, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Amen. So in this text, there's two different baptizers we're introduced to. First, you may have heard of this guy called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He baptizes with water for the forgiveness of sins. He's a little out there. He's a little nutty. He's a little zany. Uh, I think I've heard Shannon refer to him as kind of a rogue minister. He was out in the wilderness 
kind of apart from the system of the religious leaders, kind of doing his own thing, just baptizing people and pronouncing that they were forgiven. Uh, he was dressed with camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. Uh, but he came as a prophet, a fulfillment of what God has spoken through Isaiah. This is the first baptizer. The second baptizer is Jesus. We don't typically hear about Jesus the baptizer. Whenever we hear that second phrase, I think of John the Baptist. Uh, you know, it's in his name. It has to be who the real Baptist is, the real baptizer. Um, but we're told that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. We're told that Jesus' ministry will be greater than John's. Uh, we're told that he is the one who's come to fulfill all that has been told um, and that John prepared the way for Jesus. Um, he's baptized by John and he doesn't any, actually baptize anyone in this text, but we're told that he will, and he does through the Holy Spirit. So what does this baptism play? Like, what role does the baptism play for Jesus? Why does this matter, and why is this kind of his starting point in ministry? Well, it's the very first thing that he does before he speaks anything, before he does a miracle, before anything really happens in this account. Uh, Jesus just starts out first by being baptized, by being anointed. And he starts his ministry out of a blessed identity. Um, perhaps he was the only one who really knew about this identity. In this text, it just says that he saw the heavens open. He saw something like a dove descending on him. Maybe others saw it, but maybe he was the only one who experienced this anointing. Um, there's also this kind of mysterious part that it's just a voice from heaven. Uh, that's all we're really told from this text, that it's just some voice. We don't know who the voice is. Uh, could be any voice, but we do know that the voice calls Jesus son, and so we can kind of deduce maybe it was his heavenly parent. Maybe this was Yahweh God who was speaking this good news to Jesus. I wonder if there was times where Jesus kind of forgot this identity that he had, one who was well-pleased from heaven. Throughout his ministry, I wonder if he ever looked back on this day and said, man, I remember that day. That was a special one, and gave me confidence in who I really am and what I'm doing here on this earth. Jesus knew that he was blessed, that he was privileged, that he was anointed, that he was unique, special, not because of his citizenship in Rome, not because of his employment, his family status, his social status, none of these things, not even the crowds that would soon follow him. But he knew he was valuable because he was a child of God. He knew he was valuable just because heaven said, with you, I'm well pleased. And I also have to wonder, what kind of difference did it make in Jesus' life to know that he was one that heaven was well pleased with? How did that change the way he did ministry, the confidence he did, the way he performed his miracles, his teachings, and so on? Many of us who've grown up in churches, Christian communities, um, we've heard a story of a God. We've heard a story about the gospel that goes something like this. God is love, and because God is love, God loves you. But because of your sin, there's some confusion about whether God really, really loves you. And so that is why Jesus was sent um, for the redemption of sins, to renew all things. He was 
crucified, tortured on the cross, and that brought redemption and renewal to you and to humanity. And this is good news. God loves you because of this. But thinking of the cross often does little to help our attachment with God and to live into the ministry that God has in our lives and around us. Few of us who've been in churches or Christian communities have heard about a God who likes us. Just because God likes us. Just because we are children of God. Not all of us have an imagination to believe or wonder that this is the God, the God of Jesus, who likes us. Maybe that's because of what we've been told. Maybe that's because of what we've experienced from ourselves or people who have told things about who we are. This story of who God is, this narrative of who God is that God likes us, isn't taught all that often. In fact, many traditions teach against it. Many don't really believe that God does like God's children. But the God of this text does. The God of this text uh, is proud of Jesus, is proud of God's children before they do anything, before they've done anything to make God proud. God says, with you, I'm well pleased. This is a God who's easy to follow. A God who likes us, makes us want to turn towards and get to know them better. A God who likes us is someone we can trust. A God who likes us is someone we can count on. Do you see the distinction between these two? The God who loves and then the God who likes us? It might seem small. It's a small difference, but man, it can really make a huge impact on the way that we experience God and the way we live our lives. Another translation that interprets this last verse says that the voice from heaven declares, This is my much-loved Son, who makes my heart glad. And I like that translation. I like that verse. Makes my heart glad. The God of today's text is a God who loves us, who likes us, who likes God's children. Which means you too are loved. You too are wanted. You are cherished by the voice from heaven. When God thinks of you, God smiles. You make God's heart glad. God admires you. God thinks fondly of you. So receive this good news. God likes you, just as you are. Because of this, we're invited to live our lives out of the abundance, knowing that the God of the universe is well-pleased with us, wants to know us, wants to be with us, I'll close with a quote from a mother of the church, Teresa of Avila. Uh, She says that the greatest honor we can give God Almighty is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his great love. So let's live gladly. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Simple Worship Podcast. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at universitychristian.org. If you like this sermon, please share it with others. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.